If you would, turn to Revelation chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I don't want to get bogged down in the churches. Um, you know, folks. a lot of folks like to hear about a prophecy and about end times. And I want to remind you that the church age is, of course, where we're living today. We're living in the, the, the new covenant, the church age. And when we study these these seven churches, they are churches of of prophecy. Now they're real churches. Uh, matter of fact, the church we're talking about today is still a church. Okay, uh, and I'll tell you more about that uh, in just a minute. But uh, but they're also ages of of our spiritual walk. I believe we've talked about that already. And uh, so when we read these things, I think what God has done, uh, He is. He sent seven letters to seven churches. But he wanted these churches to be prepared for what they would face, what they were facing, and he wanted them to be informed of who he was. So this church, uh, we talked already a couple of weeks ago about the angel of the church of Smyrna or the angel he writes to each of these messengers of the church. He writes, here's the message, here's the letter to the church. Of course, this is John the Revelator that's writing these things uh, through the direction of the Holy Spirit. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's there uh, by himself. I'm sure there's some guards there probably, but he's writing these things. Uh, we looked at Ephesus last week, so today we'll be in, in verse 8. Uh, this is what God's Word said. So, and to the angel of the church at Smyrna, write these write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who, so that the, who say that they are Jews but are not, but they're a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested for ten days and then you will have tribulation. Be faithful even unto death and I'll give you a crown of life. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, uh, to the one who conquers will not be hurt. Let me try that one more time. Third time's charm. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. So uh, this morning, the church of Smyrna. I, I thought this was kind of interesting. I actually prepared two messages, one short one and one longer one. Which one do you think you're getting? You're getting a long one. <laughs> now, whether it was a short one or not, you're going to think it was a long one. So, I mean, you're going to say, well, he gave us a long one, not the short one. No, really what I did, I really did do that. I, I thought, you know, I just kind of hit a few high points. But then I got to thinking about the significance of some of the wording. And I thought, I can't really do that. So I thought it was interesting as I started studying this, the, the name Smyrna, and I've, I've looked at these churches a lot, is the same Greek word that's translated myrrh. Y'all have heard that before? Uh, and that myrrh in the New Testament, it was a, a, a kind of a aromic uh, substance. It was taken through them a thorny bush. They crushed it up. They made perfume out of it. Uh, and it was also used for what? For burial, for death. And uh, they, would, they would cover the body in, in myrrh. And uh, and the preparation for death and and uh, not necessarily slow the decay, but maybe 
uh, make the smell a little better. But anyway, uh, so when Jesus named the church in the church that's called Smyrna, the description and the name really describes the church. It describes what's happening. Smyrna is a it's just 35 miles from Ephesus, which we've already talked about. It was a commercial site. In other words, it was a uh, it was on the Aegean Sea. It was a a big commerce area. There was a lot of money there. There was a lot of things happening there. It was a proud city. It was a beautifully built city. They even stamped in their cones first city of Asia in size and beauty. So when they minted their cones, that's that's what they put on them, the first city in Asia in size and beauty. It had been torn down a number of times. It had always been rebuilt. And in 290 B.C., the people were uh, had rebuilt it. They were proud of this resurrection that they had built. It was just a town that, that they loved. Uh, it supported the Roman government. Now, this is... We're talking about Jews. If you notice when we read a while ago, it said those who proclaimed to be Jews were a synagogue of Satan. So this this town, even though it was a, uh, they supported the Roman government, there were not all Jews, but there were Jews there. Uh, but in this town, they were the first city to build a honor uh, or to build a temple in honor of, of this goddess for a, uh, for Rome, and, and later they built another temple for Caesar Augustus They were uh, that they could worship him. And then two years later, they built one for Tiberius that, that uh, there was a, a, a like going to the Super Bowl. You know, cities bid on the Super Bowl, and whoever bids the most money gets the Super Bowl. And uh, so that was the kind of the truth. They wanted a temple built for Tiberius, and, and Smyrna won the bet, okay? They, they won the... They won the bid, and they, they were able to build there. So, so in this city, it's a huge city. It's an active city. The people love the city. It's, it's got a lot of commerce coming in. There's a lot of money coming in. All of these temples are there. We don't know much about how it began, but uh, it's not mentioned anywhere else. But in the book of Acts, uh, there's, a, there's a story about Paul spending three years in Ephesus, and he's teaching for three years in Ephesus, and most people, most people believe that, that that's where the church at Smyrna came from. It, it was just kind of an offshoot of the church at Ephesus, just 35 miles away, and they begin to build that church. Now, there's a, a place called Izmar. I don't know where that's at, but it is the lar- third largest city in Turkey, and that's Smyrna today, okay? Now, the name's changed, but the, the church is still there. The church of Smyrna, it's still there. So uh, there's still a remnant of Christians there, just a small remnant. But So I think it's, it's the only one of the seven churches that, that is still there, that's still in place. So I thought that was really interesting. If you're a world traveler or if you ever have an opportunity maybe to go to Turkey, you ought to, to go to Izmir and look up the church of Smyrna just so you could say you had been there. So that's the church. And I told you all those things because I hope you'll just retain a little bit of that because the description of the church describes the town. They're rich, they're prosperous, uh, they have commerce coming in, they have temples there, it's full of Jews, it's also full of non-Jews. They're all living there together, they're all getting along together. 
And then Christ describes himself. You know, every in all of these letters, Christ gives some description of himself to the church. And he's revealing himself to the church at Smyrna, and he uses some different characteristics. We're going to look a little at, at those in just a minute. But I think it's interesting also that as Christ describes his nature to these seven churches, in all seven churches, his nature meets their need. Does that make sense? In other words... Uh, he, he says, all right, Smyrna, here's, I know this is what you're going through, and here's a part of my nature that'll meet that need. And I think for us spiritually in our lives, we need to realize whatever circumstance we're going through, God says, I have what you need. Part of my nature is what you need. And, you know, the Bible says that Christ, who is part of the Godhead, was on earth, he was tempted in every way, just like man is, yet was without sin. And, and so as we look at this, I want us to keep that in mind. Wherever we are spiritually, God has the answer. Wherever we are, God says, hey, I know what you need, and here is part of my nature. The problem is we have to sometimes go find it, and we have to do some Bible study, and we have to do some prayer, but God's answer is here. And for the church of Smyrna, he said this to them, I'm the first and the last. I'm the one who died and came to life again. So, uh, you know, we, we think about that picture there, that picture of Christ that says, hey, I'm the first and the last. Remember what I said about this city? They said they were the first big city in Asia. And, and so I think part of this word is Christ is saying, hey, I am the first. I'm the first and, and I am the last. And Jesus makes it clear that he's the one who is, who is the first, not the city. And this resurrected Samaria, uh, Smyrna, I'm sorry, could even, uh, could even say, Jesus says, I, I'm, I was dead and I came to life. I'm the first one to do that. And remember I said they're, they're proud of themselves for resurrecting their city. So I think that play on words there that Christ uses for the church, we wouldn't understand it just reading it because we really don't know all the circumstances that's going on in Smyrna. We'll know a little bit more after today. But, but just to read that, Christ says, hey, these people are boasting and bragging about being the first. They're bragging about being uh, broke down and, and gone, and they resurrected themselves. And he says, I'm the one. I'm the first, and I'm the one that died, and I'm the one that came back to life, me first. So the the... The scripture says in Isaiah 44, 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel is the Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. So as Christ describes himself, he says, I am the first and I am the last, and, and besides me there is no other God. Thinking about that city of Smyrna, you remember all those temples they built? Those, those were temples to worship in, and they worship these various aspects of God. So with that, he gives the church a commendation. Uh, he does each church except one. He has a, a commendation, and Jesus begins with these words, I know. We talked last week about Christ telling the church at Ephesus, I know your deeds, and we said that could be a good thing or a bad thing. You know, if, if the church is where they want to be, and uh, or, or use your kid example, if you say, I know you're what you've done, that could be good or bad, couldn't it? I mean, for me, it was usually bad, but uh, it could be good. They could say, hey, I, I know what you did, and I appreciate that so much, or I know what you did, and you knew better than that. So Christ begins each of these churches with those words, 
I knew. And Jesus walks among the church. We've, we've already studied this, this a lot, and he, he, he evaluates the church as he moves through the church. Folks, I understand that's hard for us to comprehend, isn't it? I'll be honest, it's hard for me to comprehend that God is here today and he's moving among the church. Now, the church is not this building. The church is you folks and me. We're, if you're a born-again Christian, you are the church. And God says, I move among my church. I'm watching what goes on in my church. And he says this to the church at Smyrna. Hey, I, I know what's going on. I walk among the churches. And he's not just seeing what's going on outside, but he's, he's also seeing what's happening inside the church, inside the people's hearts. And to Smyrna, these words, he says, I know. And, and it's even more significant to them, I think, because he lists three different things they're dealing with this morning. And I want to go through them, and I'm trying to move rather quickly. I know that y'all are already saying, oh, my goodness, he's got a long message. But I want to tell you something. I want to awe from somebody, okay? I was on my feet for how long? 20 hours? <laughs> Alan said too long. He was too. <laughs> my back hurts. My feet hurt. And I'm standing, and y'all are sitting. Somebody give me an awe. Oh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm leaving at 5 o'clock yesterday morning to go to the square, and I have a flat on my truck while I'm pulling the trailer. I drove that baby up there. I said, Lord, you better give me some air because I ain't stopping. And uh, So when I got to the square, it was nearly flat, but I got, I got there. <laughs> I was driving about 70. We had, we had food slung all over the trailer. I was driving. If y'all got a hair and something you ate, it was off the floor. I put... <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, I don't even know where I was going. Oh, I'm trying to move fast. I, I, I am trying to move fast. So he gives three areas. And here's, here's the first. He says, I know the tribulation you're suffering. Now, I did not know this, but that word tribulation has a very specific meaning. Now, we talk about the tribulation and we think about after, uh, after chapter 3, we start looking at the tribulation that comes upon the Jews to turn them back to God. But here he uses that word, I know the tribulation that you're going through. Now, other translations, your Bible may say afflictions, it may say suffering, it may say pain, but, but those words really fail to adequately express what that, that seriousness of tribulation means. Now, this is what I didn't know. The word means crushing or suffocating pressure, okay? So the word tribulation, a suffering, uh, a crushing, suffocating pre uh, pressure. Now, in the original way this was used, the Romans had capital punishment. What do we always think about? We think about the cross. They're the ones that started the cross. They're the ones that started nailing people to a cross. They also had a form of capital punishment and where they would stake you to the ground. I mean, who would think of this kind of stuff? They would stake you to the ground, then they would lay a huge stone on your chest. And you would lay there and, and you'd finally suffocate. I mean, it would just, it would keep pressure, it would keep pressure, it would keep pressure. And if your breathing didn't, uh, if it got shallow, 
that stone would get a little deeper and you couldn't get a good breath. And it, if it got shallow, that stone would get a little deeper. So when he, when he uses that word, that picture of a word, that suffocating, crushing pressure on the chest. Now he says to the church at Smyrna, I know you are suffocating and you have all kinds of pressures against you. And Christians, I think that's something for us. Sometimes we, we have difficulties, we have trials, we have afflictions, we have suffering, we have pain. And Christ says to the church at Smyrna, this is because of me. It's because of, of your belief in me. And, and we don't know where our world's going. We have a pretty good idea. But uh, I believe there will be a time that we'll be under tribulation. I think we still are. Now, let me stop. Don't quit listening right there. I don't think we are going into the tribulation, okay? I'm talking about this tribulation like the church at Smyrna t uh, is taking. I don't, I'm convinced there's very few of us that's ever dealt with anything like that, uh, the kind of tribulation that Jesus is speaking of here. But I think we as a church, I think we'll have more and more pressure put on us by our world, more of that crushing pressure. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment or next week one. The second thing, he says tribulation, then he says poverty. If you're listening, say, I am. Thank you. Where There's two different Greek words here. The first refers to necessities of life, that word poverty in the Greek. It means somebody that just has enough to get by. They have what they need, nothing more. The other word that's used to describe poverty, poverty is, is somebody that's absolute destitute. They don't have anything. I mean, they don't even have the... the the necessities of life. They're, they are just, they just don't have anything. Now, again, I'm convinced that none of us here has ever been to there to where we just don't have anything. We, we just can't, we, we just have to live from day to day. I always think about that lady in the Old Testament. I shouldn't do this, but because I can't remember the, the prophet's name who came to her house and said, if you'll give me your, something to eat, you know, uh, God's going to protect you. She said, all I have is, is this little bit of flour and this little bit of oil, and I was going to make this cake, and me and my son were going to eat it and die. And that prophet said, well, make it for me. How many of us would do that? <laughs> We'd probably say, ah, I don't think so, Scooter. This is all I got left, you know. But, but she didn't, and God blessed her. She was in that second category, that absolute destitute poverty. And God blessed her through that. So now Smyrna, he says, I know that you are living in absolute poverty. But remember where Smyrna is. I think that's why it's important to go back and think about the description of Smyrna. They're, they're living in a prosperous city. They're living in a place that has all this commerce, but followers of Christ are living in absolute poverty because of their faith in Jesus Christ, and we'll be able to see that a little more clearly in just a moment, but that, that, pro, that problem facing the church, how could that be? And, and Jesus answers that question in James 2.5. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, uh, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? He says, hey, Smyrna, you're, you're in poverty, but you, you have a... You have an inheritance coming, and it's the kingdom of God which he has promised to those who love him. So this is certainly an accurate picture of Smyrna. Uh, even though in the eyes of the world they were poor, they were destitute, 
God said, hey, you're rich. Remember, you're rich faithfully. You have all of these things awaiting you. And here's the last thing. He says, I know there's slander against you. Now, we don't use that word much, but I got to thinking about this. Don't we hate to be slandered against? I think when we think about slander, when I think about slander, I think about something in the newspaper or some big deal that, that everybody sees and you have, to, you have to go defend yourself. But don't we hate it even with one person if they say, you know, that person does this or don't do that or this person's this or that. Isn't that really aggravating? When you know the truth and, and you feel like, hey, that's, that's an untruth you're speaking. Because y'all remember the double mint gum commercial? See, some of y'all have no idea about the double mint gum, but what did she do? I told two people, she told two people, and what? And so on, and so on, and so on. And you know, every time they'd say so on, the screen would double in size, you know? Well, when somebody slanders against you, well, you tell two people, and they tell two people, and they tell two people, and so on, and so on, and so on, and, and it grows. And, and Jesus Christ says to the church in Smyrna, I know you're being slandered by Jews. Now, the church in Smyrna are Jews. So let's put it kind of how we would understand it or how I might understand it. Today, we are a Christian church. We're the body of Christ. We're not a Baptist church. Yeah, we have Baptist church on our sign, but we're a body of Christian believers. And if you have another body of Christian believers and they say, well, that East Delta out there, they're, they're, they're just a den of liars. They don't really serve God. They don't really love other people. They don't do it. And that's slander against us. And that's what was happening to these Jews in Smyrna is they were being slandered against by other Jews. And, and Paul talks about in Romans chapter 2, for no one is Jew who is merely an outward, nor is circumcised outwardly and physically, but a Jew is one inwardly, and the circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by letter. So Paul describes what a Jew is. So, so these people in Smyrna, they're Jews in the church. There's Jews outside of the church, and under Roman law, every citizen was required to obtain a certificate uh, every year uh, on the burning incense of, of Caesar. So every year they had to go proclaim Caesar is Lord. And when they proclaimed Caesar, Caesar is Lord, they got a, a stamp. They got a, a pass that said, okay, this person has proclaimed Caesar is Lord and they're free to do whatever they want to in Smyrna. You see where the problem came in? Smyrna was not going to do that. Smyrna said, no, Jesus Christ is Lord. So they didn't get their stamp. So as Rome looked around and said, okay, there's other Jews here. We have a group of Jews over here that's not going to proclaim Caesar as Lord. What are we going to do? So those other Jews said, wait a minute. Those Jews at Smyrna, in that church in Smyrna, uh, they're not really Jews. Don't, don't throw us out with, the, with that group. You know, we're separated from that group. In other words, they had a group of Jews that said, hey, Caesar, we'll proclaim you as, as our Lord. We don't care. And because we want to be able to buy, we want to be able to sell, we want to be able to do all of these things. In other words, we want to just mingle in with the Romans. We kind of want to look like the Romans. 
We are Jews. We do believe in God. But hey, we're not fanatics. We don't want the world to look at us and think, boy, who are those people? So, so they went ahead and said, okay, we'll proclaim you as Lord every year where we can get our certificate to, to trade here. And what do y'all think about the other Jews? So they slandered the other Jews. Everyone who was a follower of Jesus Christ, they slandered. They came against them. Listen to some of the things they, they said about them. They were called cannibals because they participated in the Lord's Supper. So the Lord's Supper says, this is my body that was broken for you. This is my blood that was shed for you. The other Jews laughed and said, hey, they're not Jewish. They're, they're like cannibals. I mean, listen to this. Listen to what they do. They participate in the Lord's Supper, which talks about his body and his blood. They're, they're not really Jews. And, and they said, they have these love feasts and all these different feasts. All they are is these big orgies that they have. And they're not really Jews. They're, they're a church over there, but they're, they're not really Jews. They're accused of splitting up families and tampering with the family unit as a result of those who committed their lives to Jesus Christ. So if you committed your life to Jesus Christ and you had a, an uncle that were part of the Jewish community that fit in with the world, that, that kind of broke a tie in between there. And not that the Christians done that, but people were separated. And he said, you know, that, that religion separates families. They're, they're not of God. They were accused of politically destroying uh, what Rome was trying to do because they wouldn't worship Caesar. You know, that's what happened with Jesus Christ. When the, when the Jews said, the, the Jews said, hey, we're going to stand behind, what, or I'm sorry, Paul is the one who I was thinking about. The Jews said, hey, we're going to stand behind Paul, and Paul wouldn't worship uh, Rome, and Paul wouldn't do these things. That's why he was put in prison over and over and over. When Jesus Christ came along, the same thing happened. The, the Jews begin to fight among themselves. Is this the Christ? Is this not the Christ? They all get in this big argument and this big fight about it. And, and Romans, Rome stepped in and said, hey, we're not going to have this fighting. You can worship who you want to, but if you start raising up a, a group of people to follow a certain man, we're going to knock that down because he's not going to destroy our government. So that sent Jesus Christ to the cross. So we see here this group of Jews knew how to push Rome's buttons because they said, hey, they, they refused to proclaim Caesar as Lord. So politically, they're trying to destroy you, Caesar. What are they trying to do this church at Smyrna? They're trying, to get the Jew, they're trying to get the Romans to wipe it out. And they're accusing them. They're slandering. They were called atheists because they failed to honor the emperor as deity. Now, that one statement there, I want you to think about what that says. They refused to honor the emperor as deity, which means a god. Okay, here's how I think Christians can do that. <clears throat> I think Christians, Christians can say that he is a form of a God. Now, I'm not saying we do that. I'm saying, I bet in the Jews' mind, as they said secretly, hey, we know the real God. But, you know, Caesar's a God also. These people all look up to him. These people all worship him. So all we're doing is recognizing that he is kind of a God. We're really not serving him. We're really not doing anything. And they justified their actions. Folks, I think Christians do that today. People who proclaim to be Christians, I think they, they do that today. They say, well, we can fit in the world. 
We can, we can look a little bit like the world because, hey, you know, when I get back in my closet, I'll go ahead and worship Jesus. But, but out here in the world, I'm going to proclaim Caesar as Lord because I have to get along. I have to do business. I have to fit in. And I think we need to take a stand as Christians just like this church at Smyrna and say, wait a minute, there's one God. And Jesus Christ, and He's the only way to heaven, and we take that stand. When we take that stand, we're going to be just like this church at Smyrna. There's going to be people who come against us. The first thing they're going to tell you, they're already telling us as Christians, is uh, you are non-tolerant, okay? That you're non-tolerant, and we are to tolerate whatever. And then uh, they go on that... Christ describes them and says they proclaim to be Jews, but they're really a synagogue of Satan. The, the word he uses here for those folks in the original Greek is diabolos, is, is what the word we get the devil from. Uh, diabolos, I mean, is what it is in the Greek that means devil or slanderer. So he describes those Jews who are out of the church that they are Satan's agents. They are part of the devil. They are slanderers. They are accusers. Uh, brethren, they, they, they themselves are instruments of Satan. So Jesus made a, a similar accusation against those in the New Testament. He said, they answered it, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. You'd be doing the works that Abraham did, but you seek to kill me. A man told you the truth that you heard from God, and this is not what Abraham, is this not what Abraham has did, done? You're doing the works your, that your father did, they said to him. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, if, you, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I'm here. And I came not of my own accord, but he who sent me. This is Jesus talking to Jews and Pharisees. Why do you not understand when I say that? Is it because you cannot hear, cannot bear to hear my word? Uh, you are of your father, the devil, and you will be do your father's business or your father's desires. And he was a murderer from the beginning. Uh, he has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. Uh, when he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of many lies. So Jesus is talking to the Jews at that time and the Pharisees and those spiritual leaders, and they say, "Hey, we're Jews because our father is Abraham." and and he says, well, why don't you obey your father even? If you say your father's Abraham, and then he, he says, no, you're, you're the devil's agents. Folks, we need to realize today in our, in our world, in our country, we have some folks that are de the devil's agents, and they're working against Christianity. The Bible says this, be aware of wolf in sheep clothing. Now, it might not say that exact thing, but that's just nearly what it says. It says there will be some come among the church and they'll appear to be Christians, and they'll appear to be everything right, but underneath they are agents of Satan. That's why the Bible says we're to test and we're to approve. We're to look at those who speak. We're to look at those that we listen to, and we need to see if God's Word is truly being spoken. And I challenge you to do that to me. If you find something that I say that's contrary to God's Word, don't tell two people, and they can tell two people, and they can tell two people. Come tell me. And, I, and we'll look at it together. And if I'm wrong, I'll say, well, you, I, I did. I misunderstood that. Uh, but but we're, we're to test those folks we listen to, and we're to be sure that they're of the faith. So 
we got one other thing this morning. I think I am going to go ahead and stop because I don't want to run us way late. But he has a, a condemnation. Now, that was those were accommodations that we just read at. But you know what? He had nothing bad to say about the church of Smyrna. Now, these other churches, he does. But at Smyrna, there, there's no condemnation. There's nothing that he says. Smyrna and, and Philadelphia are the only two churches which Jesus had no, no words of, of condemnation for. We'll get to Philadelphia here in, in a few weeks. But those only two churches uh, are the only two churches where, that weren't commanded to repent. All right. Now, think about where Smyrna is. Uh, they are a church. They're being crushed by tribulation. They're being persecuted. The thing I want us to really consider, this is something I've weighed in my mind a lot of times. You know, if it came down and you've got your family and you've got your kids and you've got your church and you've got all this, if, if, if whoever, I can't say the government, if the world told us, look, you, you're going you're gonna to proclaim that God is not real or you're not going to have any way to provide for your family. That's tough, ain't it? And what would we do? Would we say, you know what, I'm gonna, I have to fit into this world. I have to fit in the world. I've got things I have to do. I have people I have to provide for. The church at Smyrna stood fast. And God said, you know what, you appear to be poor, but you are rich in your faith. I want us to have a word of prayer today, and I, I hope we never face that. I hope I never face that. I'll be honest, we've, we've got a garden, we can all kinds of stuff, we kill beef, and I know there's some other, others of you here that, that we say, you know, I think I could sustain myself. I do think that. I think a lot of us down here in this community, when the church, when Christ talks about the church and he says they brought all their belongings to the church and gave them as needed, that's how the church survives during those times. It's providing for your brother. It's providing for your sister in Christ. But you know what? If we ever had to make that decision, I pray that we would, we would be able to say, you know what? I've already seen God's blessing. Even on the church that were in, in tribulation, that were being crushed from every side. Even when they were slandered against. Even when the world was coming against them, God said, you know what? You are truly rich. Paul says this about our time on earth. I think the older you get, the more this statement doesn't bother you much. But he says our time on earth is like a, a breath on a cold morning. You see that little fog and it just fades away. But we face eternity. The church at Smyrna, I think God just wants us to understand and be aware. Here's the church. Here's what the world is doing towards the church. We'll finish this up next week, but you know, spiritually, where are we at today? If you feel like that you're being crushed from every side spiritually, maybe at work, maybe in your job, maybe the world's demanding you do some things, think about what God told this church. He said, I know your deeds. I've seen you. I've walked among you. And here I am for you. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the one who died. I rose again. That was their need. Whatever your need is, would you say, God, show me your attributes in the midst of my need? that my faith may be strong. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time together, Lord. I pray again that 
just any kind of foolish words that I would say today, anything that would be confusing, Lord. I, we know that you're not the author of confusion, so, Father, that would be something that came from man. I, I pray, Lord, today that your word would be real, would be active, would be true in our hearts. And, Lord, I pray that we would understand the churches, that we would examine ourselves spiritually, and, Lord, we would lean upon you the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, I pray also if there'd be any here that's never accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior. Father, if we're running with the world, that you'd revive us again. If we've never accepted you, today would be the day of salvation. I ask you, Lord, to lead us and guide us and direct us during this time of invitation, and we pray this in your name.